Section two of Benito Sereno by Herman Melville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nullifidian Benito Sereno by Herman Melville. Climbing the side, the visitor was at once surrounded by a clamorous throng of whites and blacks, but the latter outnumbering the former more than could have been expected, negro transportation ship as the stranger in port was. But in one language, and as with one voice, all poured out a common tale of suffering, in which the negresses, of whom there were not a few, exceeded the others in their dolorous vehemence. The scurvy, together with the fever, had swept off a great part of their number, more especially the Spaniards. Off Cape Horn they had narrowly escaped shipwreck. Then for days together they had lain tranced without wind. Their provisions were low, their water next to none, their lips that moment were baked. While Captain Delano was thus made the mark of all eager tongues, his one eager glance took in all the faces with every other object about him. Always upon first boarding a large and populous ship at sea, especially a foreign one, with a nondescript crew such as Lasker's or Manila men, the impression varies in a peculiar way from that produced by first entering a strange house with strange inmates in a strange land. Both house and ship, the one by its walls and blinds, the other by its high bulwarks like ramparts, hoard from view their interiors till the last moment. But in the case of the ship there is this addition, that the living spectacle it contains upon its sudden and complete disclosure has, in contrast with the blank ocean which zones it, something of the effect of enchantment. The ship seems unreal, these strange costumes, gestures, and faces, but a shadowy tableau, just emerged from the deep, which directly must receive back what it gave. Perhaps it was some such influences above as attempted to be described, which, in Captain Delano's mind, heightened whatever, upon a staid scrutiny, might have seemed unusual, especially the conspicuous figures of four elderly grizzled negroes, their heads like black, dotted willow-tops, who, in venerable contrast to the tumult below them, were couched sphinx-like, one on the starboard cat-head, another on the larboard, and the remaining pair face to face on the opposite bulwarks above the main-chains. They each had bits of unstranded old junk in their hands, and, with a sort of stoical self-content, were picking the junk into oakum, a small heap of which lay by their sides. They accompanied the task with a continuous, low, monotonous chant, droning and drooling away like so many grey-headed bagpipers playing a funeral march. The quarter-deck rose into an ample elevated poop, upon the forward verge of which, lifted, like the oakum pickers, some eight feet above the general throng, sat along in rows, separated by regular spaces, the cross-legged figures of six other blacks, each with a rusty hatchet in his hand, which, with a bit of brick and rag, 
he was engaged like a scullion in scouring. While between each two was a small stack of hatchets, their rusted edges turned forward, waiting a like operation. Though occasionally the four oakum pickers would briefly address some person or persons in the crowd below, yet the six hatchet polishers neither spoke to others nor breathed a whisper among themselves, but sat intent upon their task, except at intervals, when with the peculiar love in negroes of uniting industry with pastime, two and two they sideways clashed their hatchets together, like symbols with a barbarous din. All six, unlike the generality, had the raw aspect of unsophisticated Africans. But the first comprehensive glance which took in these ten figures, with scores less conspicuous, rested but an instant upon them, as, impatient of the hubbub of voices, the visitor turned in quest of whomsoever it might be that commanded the ship. But, as if not unwilling to let nature make known her own case among his suffering charges, or else in despair of restraining it for the time, the Spanish captain, a gentlemanly, reserved-looking and rather young man to a stranger's eye, dressed with a singular richness, but bearing plain traces of sleepless cares and disquietudes, stood passively by, leaning against the mainmast, at one moment casting a dreary, spiritless look upon his excited people, at the next an unhappy glance toward his visitor. By his side stood a black of small stature, in whose rude face, as occasionally like a shepherd's dog, he mutely turned it up to the Spaniards. Sorrow and affection were equally blended. Struggling through the throng, the American advanced to the Spaniard, assuring him of his sympathies, and offering to render whatever assistance might be in his power, to which the Spaniard returned, for the present, but grave and ceremonious acknowledgments, his national formality dusked by the saturnine mood of ill-health. But losing no time in mere compliments, Captain Delano returned to the gangway, had his baskets of fish brought up, and as the wind still continued light, so that some hours at least must elapse ere the ship could be brought to the anchorage, he bade his men return to the sealer, and fetch back as much water as the whale-boat could carry, with whatever soft bread the steward might have, all the remaining pumpkins on board, with a box of sugar, and a dozen of his private bottles of cider. Not many minutes after the boat's pushing off, to the vexation of all, the wind entirely died away, and the tide turning began drifting back the ship helplessly seaward. But trusting this would not last, Captain Delano sought with good hopes to cheer up the strangers, feeling no small satisfaction that, with persons in their condition, he could— thanks to his frequent voyages along the Spanish main, converse with some freedom in their native tongue. While left alone with them, he was not long in observing some things tending to heighten his first impressions, but surprise was lost in pity, both for the Spaniards and blacks, alike evidently reduced from scarcity of water and provisions, 
while long-continued suffering seemed to have brought out the less good-natured quality of the negroes, besides, at the same time, impairing the Spaniards' authority over them. But, under the circumstances, precisely this condition of things was to have been anticipated. In armies, navies, cities, or families, in nature herself nothing more relaxes good order than misery. Still, Captain Delano was not without the idea that had Benito Sereno been a man of greater energy, misrule could hardly have come to the present pass. But the debility, constitutional or induced by the hardships, bodily and mental, of the Spanish captain was too obvious to be overlooked. A prey to settled dejection, as if long mocked with hope he would not now indulge it even when it had ceased to be a mock. The prospect of that day or evening at furthest, lying at anchor with plenty of water for his people, and a brother captain to counsel and befriend, seemed in no perceptible degree to encourage him. His mind appeared unstrung, if not more seriously affected. Shut up in the oaken walls, chained to one dull round of command, whose unconditionality cloyed him, like some hypochondriac abbot he moved slowly about, at times suddenly pausing, starting or staring, biting his lip, biting his fingernail, flushing, paling, twitching his beard, with other symptoms of an absent or moody mind. This distempered spirit was lodged, as before hinted, in as distempered a frame. He was rather tall, but seemed never to have been robust, and now with nervous suffering was worn almost to a skeleton. A tendency to some pulmonary complaint appeared to have been lately confirmed. His voice was like that of one with lungs half gone, hoarsely suppressed, a husky whisper. No wonder that, as in this state he tottered about, his private servant apprehensively followed him. Sometimes the negro gave his master his arm, or took his handkerchief out of his pocket for him, performing these and similar offices with that affectionate zeal which transmutes into something filial or fraternal, acts in themselves but menial, and which has gained for the negro the repute of making the most pleasing body-servant in the world. One, too, whom a master need be on no stiffly superior terms with, but may treat with familiar trust, less a servant than a devoted companion. Marking the noisy indocility of the blacks in general, as well as what seemed the sullen inefficiency of the whites, it was not without humane satisfaction that Captain Delano witnessed the steady good conduct of Babo. But the good conduct of Babo, hardly more than the ill behavior of others, seemed to withdraw the half-lunatic Don Benito from his cloudy languor. Not that such precisely was the impression made by the Spaniard on the mind of his visitor. The Spaniard's individual unrest was, for the present, but noted as conspicuous a feature in the ship's general affliction. Still, Captain Delano was not a little concerned at what he could not help taking for the time to be Don Benito's unfriendly indifference towards himself. The Spaniard's manner, too, conveyed a note of sour and gloomy disdain, 
which he seemed at no pains to disguise. But this the American in charity ascribed to the harassing effects of sickness, since, in former instances, he had noted that there are peculiar natures on whom prolonged physical suffering seems to cancel every social instinct of kindness. As if forced to black bread themselves, they deemed it but equity that each person coming nigh them should, indirectly by some slight or affront, be made to partake of their fare. But ere long Captain Delano bethought him that, indulgent as he was at the first, in judging the Spaniard he might not, after all, have exercised charity enough. At bottom it was Don Benito's reserve which displeased him, but the same reserve was shown towards all but his personal attendant. Even the formal reports which, according to sea usage, were at stated times made to him by some petty underling, either a white, mulatto, or black, he hardly had patience enough to listen to without betraying contemptuous aversion. His manner upon such occasions was, in its degree, not unlike that which might be supposed to have been his imperial countryman's, Charles V, just previous to the anchoritish retirement of that monarch from the throne. This splenetic disrelish of his place was evinced in almost every function pertaining to it. Proud as he was moody, he condescended to no personal mandate. Whatever special orders were necessary, their delivery was delegated to his body-servant, who in turn transferred them to their alternate destination, through runners, alert Spanish boys or slave boys, like pages or pilot-fish within easy call, continually hovering around Don Benito, so that to have beheld this undemonstrative invalid, gliding about, apathetic and mute, no landsman could have dreamed that in him was lodged a dictatorship beyond which, while at sea, there was no earthly appeal. Thus the Spaniard, regarded in his reserve, seemed as the involuntary victim of mental disorder. But in fact, his reserve might, in some degree, have proceeded from design. If so, then in Don Benito was evinced the unhealthy climax of that icy, though conscientious policy, more or less adopted by all commanders of large ships, which, except in signal emergencies, obliterates alike the manifestation of sway with every trace of sociality, transforming the man into a block, or rather into a loaded cannon, which, until there is call for thunder, has nothing to say. Viewing him in this light, it seemed but a natural token of the perverse habit induced by a long course of such hard self-restraint that, notwithstanding the present condition of his ship, the Spaniard should still persist in a demeanor which, however harmless, or it may be appropriate, in a well-appointed vessel, such as the San Dominic might have been at the outset of the voyage, was anything but judicious now. But the Spaniard perhaps thought that it was with captains as with gods, reserve under all events must still be their cue. But, more probably, this appearance of slumbering dominion might have been but an attempted disguise to conscious imbecility, not deep policy but shallow device. But be all as this might, whether Don Benito's manner was designed or not, the more Captain Delano noted its pervading reserve, 
the less he felt uneasiness at any particular manifestation of that reserve towards himself. Neither were his thoughts taken up by the captain alone, wanted to the quiet orderliness of the sealer's comfortable family of a crew, the noisy confusion of the San Dominic's suffering host repeatedly challenged his eye. Some prominent breaches not only of discipline but of decency were observed. These Captain Delano could not but ascribe, in the main, to the absence of those subordinate deck officers to whom, along with higher duties, is entrusted what may be styled the police department of a populous ship. True, the old oakum pickers appeared at times to act the part of monitorial constables to their countrymen, the blacks, but though occasionally succeeding in allaying trifling outbreaks now and then between man and man, they could do little or nothing towards establishing a general quiet. The San Dominic was in the condition of a transatlantic immigrant ship, among whose multitude of living freight are some individuals doubtless as little troublesome as crates and bales, but the friendly remonstrances of such with their ruder companions are of not so much avail as the unfriendly arm of the mate. What the San Dominic wanted was what the immigrant ship has, stern superior officers, but on these decks not so much as a fourth mate was to be seen. End of section two.